Hi, my name is Pat Live, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is January 27, 2021. The following is going to sound like I'm reading from a script, and I am. The ad lib stuff simply wasn't working. This is my very first podcast, and I know absolutely nothing about podcasting, so this will be trial by fire. I'm a photojournalist, and I write a weekly music column. The site I write for is called Don't Believe a Word I Say, which, by the way, is owned by none other than the illustrious Bob Segarini, a longtime friend of 45 years. I'm also known as the girl with a camera throughout the music scene here in Toronto. You'll find out more of what I'm about through these podcasts and through the people I've interviewed. Our lives are on hiatus. Everything has turned upside down and forever changed us, both physically and psychologically. We continue to cope and retrain our brains to think differently, but it's been an international melting pot of emotions and experiences. One area particularly hard hit has been what's known as the gig economy, primarily arts and entertainment, anything that gathers a crowd. This includes everyone from the artists themselves to those behind-the-scenes people, including the sound, stage, and lighting technicians, roadies and road crews, stage crews, drivers, and yes, even the photographers. Artists have devoted their lives to their art, whether it's on stage or off. To have that life literally come to a standstill with no choice in the matter and no time to prepare is catastrophic for many. Entire livelihoods, how they support and feed their families and keep a roof over their heads, has ceased to exist, and for how long, no one knows. We did have tiny windows of freedom in the summer to explore other options, but all that came crashing down at year-end in the worst way possible. The focus of Love the Music is the music and its people. I have written much about what music means to us. It's impossible for me to address all corners of the world, but I can focus on my hometown of Toronto and surrounding area, a microcosm of what's happening everywhere else, particularly with the local artists. I am hoping this forum will be a continuing voice for musicians, not only from my neighborhood of Toronto, but the diasporas of Canadian musicians around the world. The series I'm about to introduce is called The Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. About three months into this shitstorm, I began to wonder what the local indie musicians were doing and how they were coping both personally and professionally. Where did they think they'd be at this particular point in time? The conversations ended up expanding to Canadian artists living in Beijing, Austin, Nashville, and even the UK. I drew up a list of artists and an even shorter list of questions more just to trigger conversation than conduct a formal interview. I figured if a few artists agreed to talk to me, I'd be very fortunate. To my shock, almost all that I asked were happy to participate, and as word got out, a number of others approached me separately, offering their time to add their voices. By the time I recorded my last interview of 2020, the questions had grown from 8 to 19. Some of the conversations are in person and took place outdoors in parks, backyards, and my back deck. Others took place in my living room, recording studios, and others over Zoom. It was wonderful to touch base with so many I had come to know and count as friends. It was also a great opportunity to connect with and get to know these artists on a more personal level. The interviews kept me happily busy all summer, right into the fall. They are edited by yours truly, but only to remove ums and ahs and long pauses. You will hear traffic, sirens, lawnmowers, 
birds, the crackle and static of ill-connected Zoom calls, it's all there. Now keep in mind, this began as pieces for my column. The word podcast was not part of my vocabulary. It was after a few suggestions that maybe people would rather hear the musicians in their own voice that I started to consider podcasting. And at the end of the summer, I finally decided to give it a shot. So here I am. This is a learn-as-you-go series, so if it seems a bit crude and raw, now you know why. This podcast and the process to get there have been both a challenge and a labor of love. It's also a huge step into the unknown for me and, truthfully, a bit unnerving. Some of the artists I've spoken to include Jeff Jones, Paul DeLong, Julian Taylor, The Dream Boats, Brandon Gregory from Drop Top Alibi, Eddie Bullen, Kirk Reed from The Reed Effect, the band members from Hot Lips, Susie Corey, Mike Celia, Gord Depp from The Spoons, Ember Swift in Beijing, Marco Argiro in Nashville, Steve Pelche, the band James Blonde, Sarah Smith, Sally Shar from The Monowales, and so many others. Hang around and listen to what these folks have to say. Unfortunately, not much has changed since I spoke to these folks. And in fact, it's getting worse as cases continue to skyrocket. By the time you hear this, Ontario will be under total lockdown. This pandemic has lasted far longer than anyone had hoped or anticipated, so I'm planning to check in with them over 2021. My aim is to feature one artist each week, and it looks like early Tuesday mornings are the best time to upload the podcast. So Tuesdays it is. That fabulous piece of music you heard at the beginning was written and performed by Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong. Created especially for this podcast and nicknamed Pat Sting, it's my open and close. My deepest thanks go out to the three of you for your time and your creative energies. Many, many thanks to all the artists who took the time to talk to me, sharing their thoughts, hopes, fears, and passions. I am very deeply honored. My first interview took place on June 10th, 2020, with Mike Celia at Christie Pitts in Toronto. I thought I would begin there and move through each one sequentially. I've changed my mind. At the beginning of the month, drummer Paul DeLong posted an open and very heartfelt message expressing how deeply this pandemic is affecting him, not just professionally, but personally. What captured my attention was the rapid, almost instantaneous reactions it triggered. Hundreds of comments came flowing in so fast you couldn't keep up. The post opened the floodgates for hundreds of musicians who thought they were alone in their feelings and experience. The music community rallied and expressed their love, concern, and support, as well as what they were going through personally. It was as if the post had somehow given everyone the approval and encouragement to share emotions most had been keeping to themselves, fearful of expressing themselves, especially in a public forum. Now, if you don't know who Paul DeLong is, let me fill you in on this man's 55-year career in music, albeit briefly. He is a Juno Award-winning multi-platinum artist. He is an author and an educator. He is a drummer whose work spans many genres of music, including Afro-Cuban, funk, rock, and jazz, and he is considered one of North America's top drummers. Many of you will be familiar with his work with Kim Mitchell and Dominic Triano. Paul is currently performing in a number of tribute bands and shows, including Brass Transit, the music of Chicago, Pretzel Logic, the music of Steely Dan, the collaborative tribute show Jeans and Classics, 
the music of Queen, Supertramp, The Who, Rocky Horror, and many more, as well as the Beatles show ones. He is also a leader of his own five-piece fusion band, Paul DeLong's One Word, dedicated to the works of the Mahavishnu Orchestra, Alan Holdsworth, Return to Forever, and others. Paul is authentic right down to his vintage drum kits. Think 1964 Ludwigs, 1970s Fives, and 1980s Gretsch. David Bendis' response to Paul's post describes him best. I have known you since you were 13. We came up together, played together for many years, and I have seen you shine in every situation. You were amazing then, and you are a master now. In fact, you are probably the best drummer in Canada, and on a global level, right up there with the best of the best. You have taught some of the most prolific drummers in the world. Your track record of recording albums and playing live shows is one that many drummers and musicians would only dream. You are a national treasure and an unsung hero. Paul DeLong's interview took place on June 20, 2020, barely three months into the pandemic. You can head to Paul's Facebook page to read his entire post. Paul DeLong, that's Thank who you. I am. What I do, I'm a drummer, teacher, author, man about town background. Most people know me from Kim Mitchell days in the 80s. I did a lot of theater, musical theater, 10 years of that. Played Dominic Triano, David Blake Thomas, Paul Wilkinson, Rick Emmett, Roger Hudson, Tom Scott. I have my own band called One Word, huge band. And I um, play in a variety of tribute bands, one being Brass Transit, tribute to Chicago, the other main one, uh, Pencil Logic, tribute to Oh yes, and there's Jeans and Classics, yes, uh, which is like a multi-tribute band uh, for the symphony and the choir sometimes. Where were you at this time last year? Can I look at my phone? You can look at your phone. I'll tell you, talk amongst yourselves. June 2019, well, this week I was in Gulfport. Um, Mrs. Clayton Thomas rehearsal, and I played with David Clayton Thomas on the Saturday night a year ago. I played with David Clayton Thomas in Hamilton, and then on the Sunday, I had nothing. But I was busy, busy, busy. You were basically touring, though. Yeah, and... Um, down in the U.S.? Down in the U.S. So theoretically, where should you be now? I actually played with David Clayton Thomas in Peterborough uh, tonight. But June it got, 21st? It got cancelled. Actually, it's June 21st, you're right, tomorrow night. I don't think I had anything for the 20th, but uh, yeah, so tomorrow night would have been uh, So most of your gigs this year, all if not all of them, have been cancelled? Yes, I got nothing right now, nothing, except September 5th, maybe with Brass Transit in um, Bemis, uh, uh, Lake Chautauqua, this uh, floating stage, because it's outdoors and people are spread out, we might be able to do it, but other than that, I got nothing. So what has been keeping you occupied in the meantime? Um, well, I started off with a great flurry of, as everybody did with this, is, oh, great, now i got time to do all kinds of creative things. And I vowed to myself, okay, I'm going to learn Final Cut Pro, and I'm going to really get into it, and I'm going to do a video with my band. And I did that, and that was great, and I played in a, in a video for uh, Frank Zeroni's uh, You Are Not Alone. That was great, a great flurry of activity, and then after that, I shut down, and uh, I did not feel like doing anything. 
except playing the drums randomly. Uh, for some reason, I've been practicing more than ever before, and just work. But I don't. I have tracks that I was supposed to have done for people that I've been putting off and putting off and putting off, literally for the last two months. And instead, I go down to the basement and play the drums furiously and wake, work up a sweat. And, and I'm working on new things, so I have all this. I have a creative. I do have a creative thing burst happening, but I don't feel like doing work for other people right now. It's very strange. And then every once in a while, I just don't want to work at all, do anything because I just think, what's the point? Uh, and I then I think back to whenever I'm out of work normally, which is very rare. But uh, in the past, when I've been out of work. When I have all the time to practice and do all kinds of things, I don't want to do it because without the motivation of work, knowing that work is coming up, I, it, for some reason it's a weird thing. Like I don't feel like until I have work and I have a goal to, you know, usually with gigs like I'm preparing ahead of time for like Jeans and Classics, I have to run the show and prepare. Like there's always this ongoing thing, there's always something to, to prepare, but it's for work that I'm getting paid for. And uh, without that motivation, uh, I don't um, feel so uh, driven to, to be the way I normally am. My work ethic kind of goes out the window. But uh, like I said, my creative thing is doing pretty well. And I am accomplishing some stuff. But I don't feel like doing another video. I want to wait until I can play live with my band again or play live with anybody again. You know, I just want to play a gig. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's the longest I've ever gone without playing a gig. So, yeah. So your creative verse, you're doing some stuff on the drums then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have some new things, working on new things. Um, and not necessarily, there's some structure to it, and there's some other times when it's just going to the basement and playing uh, until I don't feel like playing anymore and then coming upstairs. So, um, But there is some structure to it, and I am making progress. So it's almost like the isolation or the pandemic or the lack of work slows down the motivation, but yeah. increases the creativity. Yeah, I think... That, Where do you think that comes from? Uh, I think um, I think what it is is that uh, uh, drums, like uh, for me, music is, is my um, comfort place and my go-to place when I'm feeling messed up, or, for lack of better words, fucked up. And uh, so I think the kind of practice I'm doing is, is to soothe my soul. Like, it's just like it's my... I go to the drums like some other people would go to um, alcohol or whatever, you know. So it's not like the normal state of affairs for me, but but I take comfort from the drums. That's it. That's the word. Yeah. So if that makes any sense at all, I don't know. And you've been tooling around on the guitar for a while. Have you, have you approached that? I haven't yeah. touched it in six months at least. Really? No, I haven't touched it. And this is all. I got ample opportunity now to do that too, and I don't know why I haven't done that. Um, but I should, uh, I should, God knows I have time, I could actually get better. But, uh, yeah, it's weird, the motivation thing. And yet I've been doing crazy things like cutting the Yamaha stickers off my Yamaha cymbal stands because they're messy, like real OCD shit like that. And doing maintenance on my cymbal on stands and cleaning drums and <laughs> doing that shit. So. But you actually rebuild drum kits. I do. Refurbish and rebuild and refinish and yeah. Rewrap. Mm-hmm. Retune. Well, we all need tuning, but yeah. So that keeps you busy for a while as yes. well. You're writing. For most musicians that I've talked to, 
um, one of the questions was, is a, how is any of what's going on around you reflected in your music? Would that be reflected in anything you're creating on the drums? Yeah, I would say that yeah. I'm approaching the drums with uh, from a place of anger and sorrow. <laughs> okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think there's a serious amount of aggression to my drumming when I'm practicing that I normally might not have, you know, like, uh, because I am angry and bewildered and... Uh, afraid and all these kinds of emotions that yeah definitely I, I, I there's for sure you know so uh, you, you'd, you'd have to play the banjo for for it not to be reflected in your you know how Steve Martin said you can't be play a sad song on the banjo yeah well if yeah you, it's the only instrument that's always happy but <laughs> maybe you should pick up the banjo instead of the guitar <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of all of this, how are you actually coping personally? Not very well. I'm, I, 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 I was drinking too much and eating too much and just, um, and I bought drums that I don't really need and, you know, spending money like I always do even though I don't have much income coming in. And, um, yeah, no, I can't say I've been coping that well. Uh, I've been very depressed and... Uh, you need to be on stage. You need yeah. You to be playing. I need to be playing. But I'm also just upset for the state of the world and my granddaughter and the future of the world and yeah. uh, bleak times, you know. How do you think this is going to affect the live music industry? Well, somebody from uh, the Toronto Musician, or no, the AFFM, the American Federation of Musicians, said that it's going to be a shadowy future at best, meaning that uh, it's not going to come back the way it was, probably, and uh, which is very disturbing thought because we just don't want it to go back the way it was and we you know I've been fortunate the last 10 years with this Chicago tribute that we've been a big success and, and work comes in we do 50 gigs a year and they're all great pretty well and crowds love it we make money we have a great time the reputation of the band is good we were doing more and more symphony shows it's just like on an upward uh, swing and then it, now it's just um, I don't know what to expect and uh, you think about Broadway um, and how the effects on, on Broadway and, and the Mervishes here in Toronto and all every facet that trickles down from that, from choreographers to state set designers to the stagehands to, you know, like it's everybody's hurting because of this. Um, and it's not necessarily just going to go bang, okay, we're back to normal now. It's going to like have to ease back into it. So. And there's a lot of clubs that won't survive and haven't survived. And then there's a lot of theaters. That, the theaters we play in the U.S., some of these are um, now, they're just folding. They just can't keep going. So a lot of venues will be gone that were there before. And um, so it's pretty dire. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody just wants it to be, but it doesn't work that way. You know, to just go back, it might take years to recover from this. And it may never get back to where it was, you know. Depending on how long this thing goes on, too. It could stretch on for a couple of years. So. On that note, we're going to take a musical break. As mentioned previously, Paul's drumming skills range from Afro-Cuban to rock to the improvisational music of jazz and fusion. In 1990, Paul recorded a jazz album with Grammy Award-winning vocalist David Blamires. I was introduced to it about a year ago, and it's become one of my favorite albums. Here's one of the cuts, Tribal Wave.
Welcome back to Love the Music and the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. We just heard Tribal Wave by the David Blameyers Group and, of course, Paul DeLong on drums. You're listening to a pre-recorded interview I had with Paul back in June 2020, three months into the first wave of COVID-19. What do you think it's going to take to get people back out I think, in crowds listening to live music? I think, um, I think that the more time goes on, the more people... Are just gonna say fuck it. I I gotta get it, and this it's just it's gonna be. Um, I'm what I'm counting on is that people will be so starved for entertainment that it'll be a boom time for entertainment when we when it gets back to some sort of normal. Because I mean, you look at the depression. There was like it was a great period for music actually, and um, even during pro- prohibition, you know, they had speakeasies with with jazz, with live music and stuff happening. So. Um, There'll, there'll always be a demand when the world is at its bleakest. There's always still a demand for music and entertainment, and, and people crave it. And I, you know, they'll spend their last dollar on it. I swear. So that's a hopeful thing. So do you think that this might then be actually, if you flip it around, a good thing? I mean, for for the entertainment business, for artists, because all of a sudden you have a dearth of it. I mean, the only thing you have is social media. There's no live entertainment out there. So turn it around, and this actually might turn out to be a positive. I, I don't think you can go as Short far. term, maybe long term. Yeah, I don't think you can say it's a positive, but I think it'll be help with the, the people's desire for entertainment will help with the healing of the whole thing and, and make it uh, help with the uh, everybody uh, getting back on its feet. But um, Maybe recognizing that they actually do need... Mm-hmm. Um, music and the arts. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think so. But I I, I, I hesitate to say that it's actually a, a good thing. It's a, it's a roundabout way to arrive at a positive result with all the devastation to the economy and uh, and these like I said clubs and restaurant owners and all this stuff is like it's been uh, it's a hard go that's for sure. And I mean, I'm just wondering if entertainment is going to get more recognition coming out the other side. Initially, yeah, probably everybody would be just happy to go hear anything live, you know, I think so. How do you think it's going to affect new artists, like really new artists, people that are just on the verge, you teach, uh, you're teaching people that, you know, want to make music their, their livelihood, well, how do you think this is going to affect them? Well, so far we've had 10 dropouts uh, who were enrolled in Humber next year and they're and have dropped it, and I'm sure that number is going to just get bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, because you've got the perspective of being of teaching. So. Yeah, and I think kids will be. It was already a crapshoot to become a musician, but if you were deciding, okay, this is the year I'm going to go to music school, you might change your mind and go, well, not only is you don't know about the future as a musician because it's sketchy at the best times, but now it's really fucking sketchy. So it's a real bad time to get into music or, or present new music or anything. I mean, you can still, I guess because of the internet and everything, you can still do it. But if you're hoping to play, most people make their money playing live, uh, even big groups. They, nobody makes money from record royalties anymore. Everybody makes their money from touring. So if the tours are all gone, but and even new artists can't even hope to go play at the local club and pass the hat, you know, it's like, I mean, how do you make a living, you know, so it's a bad time for a new artist to, to start out, that's for sure. Well, I mean, yeah, the pass the hat business, I mean, do you think that that might change? What about, work, you know, musicians getting together and working with each other 
and with the clubs, trying to make it sort of a better a better scene for performers. Yeah, that's been going downhill for years. Though I mean, when I was uh, when I was starting out, and I had to join the union to just play in the city. And you would play, say you're at the Constellation, you're playing for a week in one of the rooms, and they had like five rooms at the Constellation you could play in, and you were at one of those for a week. The union rep would come out and make sure your, your union card was, um, that you had a union card, and you would get scale, it would be B scale or C scale or whatever it was, you would, they would and you'd get pension paid on it, you know, so it was like real legit business in all the clubs, and that petered out until we're down to what we're down to, which is past the hat. What happened? I just don't know. I don't know why that went that way. Yeah, sessions, you know, when I recorded with Dominic Triano back in the late 70s, it would all be filed through the AFFM contracted sessions. I got paid what it said, and and I get pension on that, too, you know. So, um, but somewhere along the line, it all started going non-union, and people said, who needs the union? We don't need it. And, um clubs, I guess, club owners, you know, it's a lot easier for them if they uh, they don't have to pay scale, they can pay way less than scale, and then when it gets beyond that, okay, I'm not going to guarantee you anything, but you can have the, put the tip jar out front and see what you can collect, you know, so I don't know how it ended up so bad, but it did, and uh, yeah, I don't know, that's a really good question, maybe someone else can tell you that. So do you think there might be just more focus on streaming and online? Yeah. Do you think that's going to be more impactful? I guess. Since bands heavily do heavily rely on touring yeah. and selling their merchandise, yeah. what's the, you know they've lost that primary source of income. So do you turn to, and with tribute bands in particular, do they turn to streaming? Do they turn to what's it, some other forms of creative selling? Yeah, with, I mean, uh, already, like, Live Nation is doing these um, concerts, virtual concerts and stuff from various venues, where I guess the band plays and then the, uh, they're supposed to pay a certain amount to see it and stuff. And, but uh, I think maybe initially it'll be a novelty and people will, might do that, but eventually they're just going to say, fuck this, I want to hear a band, I want to see them sweat, I want to be in the same room with them, you know. I don't think it's going to last that shit, that streaming shit will last a long time. What about a drive-in tour? It's a sketchy at best, you know, like, you know, sitting in your car with a speaker or whatever. I, I wouldn't be happy doing this, being, it, being the band or being in the audience for that. I just would feel I was getting uh, cheated <laughs> in the experience. Um, People are actually sitting on the hoods and the roofs of their cars. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you think that's just a novelty thing too? Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think it's just like a stopgap. Uh, what do you call it? You know, something to um, keep people going until the real thing can happen again. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the way of the future. But I hope not. <laughs> I hope to be playing concerts again by 2021. We're supposed to be. But I don't know. Paul's love for fusion music runs deep. Seeing the Mahavishnu Orchestra perform live in 1973 was his musical epiphany. His current band, One Word, is a tribute to the world of fusion and the music of Mahavishnu Orchestra. Back in the mid-90s, Paul was a member of the Toronto fusion band, The Code. They recorded and produced four CDs during their short time together. 
Here is one of their tracks entitled Clones off their first CD.
And we're back. That was Clones by The Code, a fusion band Paul DeLong performed with in the 1990s. I am Pat Blythe, and this is Love the Music. You're listening to a pre-recorded interview I had with Paul back in June 2020, three months into the first wave of COVID-19. This is part of my series, The Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. Do you think quarantine is going to spark some sort of renaissance in music, maybe a change, a shift? like the 60s and the 70s did with the protest movement. I'm not saying we're going to have protest songs now, but people have a chance to really focus on what they're doing, what they're writing. Think there might be a little shift, or are we going to stick with the poppy stuff that we still hear on the radio? Well, yeah, I mean... Some of the artists I've been talking to, they're, they're, they're actually, their music is changing up. It's shifting. Yeah, I guess so. And not to say that it's, you know, it's all songs about the pandemic or isolation. Yeah. But they're looking at that. They're looking at how they're writing a little differently. Yeah. Not being a songwriter, I don't know, you know. um, But you do write music on the drums. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see because all this Black Lives Matter stuff and everything, you know, like there's, there could be some, the way there was in the 60s, that kind of thing, you know. Uh, The pandemic... I don't know. I mean, we've had a, a, a glut of uh, these videos of everybody doing these songs that are all, uh, you're not alone, we're all together in this and all this shit, and I'm very cynical about that now. I, I Even though I took part in one of those songs, I, I now I think it's a joke, and um, I, I can't relate to that shit at all, but there's a ton of them. And people recut, redoing Lean On Me and stuff like that. It's just, give me a break, mm-hmm. you know. I don't, I can't. Uh, How do you find virtual collaborations? Though? I mean, you've done one with your own band. You did one with Frank Zerone. Yeah. But what do you, and you've also taught. Yeah. Over Skype. How do you find all of that? I hate it. All of it. I. You're an in-person kind of guy. Yeah. Like bands, musicians need to, um, you can create the illusion that you're playing together. But if you're actually going to react to what each other's playing and everything, you got to be in the same room playing together. You know, it's like, I mean, even before the pandemic we were I've been doing tracks for years for people in my basement and stuff and it's okay you know but I mean it's not like when Dominic Triano when we recorded and we were all in the studio at the same time with our headphones on and actually going for a take and listening to each other and playing and reacting and that's where magic actually happens you know so um, nothing replaces that so um, and teaching same thing Oh my God! Not to be able to sit beside your student and and um, you know look at his hand position and correct it or whatever, or listen to what he's playing uh, and and critique it, or you know you, virtu- the virtual version of that uh, is really tedious and really hard to do because there's the internet. You know, there's when you you know Zoom and Skype. There's there's little pauses and glitches and they get stuck. And how do you critique a drummer playing? a groove if the groove keeps stuttering you know it's not his fault but you can't tell whether the kid is making progress or not you know so yeah I, I find it that very tedious too um, I'm not a fan of, of the virtual world uh, I mean it's a, it was a novelty now it's not it's just like eh. wow my regard looking outward should you got, we've got three major record companies out there Basically, worldwide, international record companies, Warner being one, and the other two, the names escape me, Universal. 
Um, we've got Spotify, we've got Bandcamp, we've got all of these other companies that are now making a lot of YouTube, making a lot of money off streaming. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that money's not getting back to the artists. Do you think now they should be doing more and maybe investing more yes. back into the arts and directly back to the artists? Yeah, but you'd have to talk them out of some of their profits, so uh, they might not go for that. But yes, definitely. They, gotta, <laughs> they should be trying to help instead of trying to rob the artists. Yeah, there should be some laws made about percent royalties and stuff, the Spotify and all that, you know. They should be doing more. Yeah, definitely. What's one positive thing that's come out of this whole pandemic isolation thing for you? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Uh, huh? <laughs> Um, well, I think uh, when when times when I'm in my normal life, uh, where I'm working my face off and teaching and doing a lot of stuff, um, I don't get time to um, just. Uh, I feel pressure all the time to be doing the work I have to do. To be on. Yeah. So uh, this is sort of a break from that. But that's dangerous, but it is, it's a break from that, so I don't feel the pressure of time, and it's like, oh, I can do this tomorrow, and I don't really have to do it today. That's good in a way, maybe I'm more relaxed, but it's really bad in another way, so, um, yeah, I think I prefer the pressure. <laughs> well, what about the creative verse that you've had? Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I mean, I am... That's basically happened during the pandemic, no? Yeah, that's right. I have been working on new stuff that I might not have spent time on. So that's good, yeah. Uh, more bike rides, <laughs> more barbecues, uh, more beer. No, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, connecting with a few people that I not, normally might not, because you always put it off, you know, like old friends and stuff mm -hmm. who've been phoning and stuff, people maybe getting in touch that haven't been in the past. So that's, that's nice. All of a sudden, they go, "Hey, I just thought I'd give you a call." You know, so that's cool. That's an interesting point, actually, because a lot of people I've been speaking to haven't—it's not the texting, it's not the messaging. They've actually been giving people like telephone yeah, calls or right. cell phone calls, yeah, but actually live conversations. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, that stuff. Um, if we just okay. carry it on over. That's it. That's it. Yep. Thank you everyone for sharing your time and patience and lending your ear, allowing us into your cars, offices, and homes for a brief moment. I am Pat Blythe, and this is Love the Music.